0: I invite you to turn with me again in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. I just want to uh, encourage you, if you forgot that we were receiving this offering this morning and did not come prepared for uh, a gift for the persecuted church, feel free to bring that this evening or next Sunday, even just drop it in the uh, offering and uh, marked, and I'm sure that our deacons would happily receive that and pass that forward. Hebrews chapter 13, we've come to the benediction, the, the uh, concluding prayer and promise of this great letter. Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. Let's give our attention to God's Word. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. God in heaven, we are dry ground, and in your word we have refreshing water of life. And I pray, Lord, that we would experience then your your message, your truth, your grace, your kindness and goodness and faithfulness, that we would drink in this good word, And it would be refreshment for our weary soul. And we'll give you the praise as you lead us along. And um, we thank you that that's exactly what you promised to do. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said this morning, we've come to the um, concluding benediction of this magnificent letter. I, I know that uh, many of you have, en- have enjoyed Hebrews, as many of you have told me, that this is your favorite book. And I think it's, um, it's not a mystery, as uh, this holds before us, the wonder of Jesus, the certainty of a coming city, and uh, the fact that uh, on this pilgrim road that we're walking, God is going to be faithful. And so this morning, uh, the title of my message is Assurance For weary souls assurances for weary souls there's a wonderful kindness of god in this benediction it's a kindness we could easily miss because it might sound to our sort of modern american ears like a well wish like someone signing off a letter and saying you know best wishes Um, this is not best wishes Uh, a benediction is, uh, the, the, it's from the Latin meaning good word, and it's a better word than we might imagine because it is, it's a proclamation, it's a promise, it's a gift to you from God, it's, it's His promise to His people, uh, and you can, you can take that promise and, and that proclamation and rest in it, and that's exactly why it's given. Uh, the, remember, the writer here is writing to people who are worn out. I know many of you are spiritually worn out, maybe physically uh, worn out, exhausted in many ways because of just life, um, and, and uh, it's, it's a reality of this pilgrim journey that we get, ex- we get tired. Jesus got tired. Uh, Jesus was at times worn out, and the writer here has, has been ministering to people who are, well, they're, they're tired. They are, uh, they've are. they been walking this pilgrim road for a while now, but it's, it's cost them so much. They've lost families and homes. They've lost houses. They've lost their place in the world. And, and the writer here does not diminish any of the hardships. God never in his word says, buck up, get over it. It's not that big a deal. Never says that. What he says is, look up. And remember that the God who's called you to his, uh, to his glory, that God will ensure that you make it to His glory. And that though the way is hard, the end is glorious, and, uh, and along the way, we'll have all the grace, all the goodness of God that we need, so that um, God will be shown to be faithful when He promised to rescue you, He promised to rescue you and me all the way. And so this, this benediction this morning, just wonderful assurance to us uh, that God is going to be faithful all the way to the end. The writer is, is speaking to these weary Christians and giving them assurance for their soul. We're going to look at four assurances, and we're not going to have time to unpack all of them completely, but the four are that we find here, a God of peace, a great shepherd, a blood-bought covenant, and a daily divine work. A God of peace, a great shepherd, a blood-bought covenant, and a daily divine work. The writer begins this this benediction, I may the God of peace. All the New Testament benedictions begin that way. In fact, the only time you'll see God referred to as a God of peace in the New Testament is in a benediction. There's a reason for that. The writers are all referencing the great benediction that you have in, back in Numbers chapter 6. If you have your Bible, just turn to that. You're going to know the words, but it's good to see them. Numbers chapter 6, where God uh, instructs Aaron to speak this very specific particular blessings-loaded um, benediction over the people. Uh, my Bible here says Aaron's blessing. Uh, it's not Aaron's blessing. That's not in the original. Uh, that's, uh, someone thought it would be helpful. It's God's blessing through Aaron. It's clearly uh, God's blessing, and we need to hear it that way. And so Numbers chapter 6, just remember, uh, hear these words again. The Lord spoke to Moses, verse 22, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Friends, that is the core, essential, fundamental blessing of the gospel. You see, We should, we're used to those words. We hear them just about every Sunday. Uh, Maybe you've heard them most of your life. And it's easy to forget that this is shocking good news. That you actually were, uh, by virtue of your identity with Adam, born in sin. And I was too. And not only are you guilty by virtue of, of Adam's guilt... You're guilty because of your own sin, and your sin separates you from God. The the holiness of God is a consuming fire, and you instinctively know that everyone made in the image of God knows that. People sense that when they sin, they are guilty. People sense that uh, when death approaches, that there's something to be feared in death. That a judgment is a terrifying thing when we stand before the living God and give an account of our life. The Israelites know know this. They've seen the mountain. They've they've heard the thunder and they've seen the, the lightning and the flame and the smoke and they were terrified. God is not a tame, safe God. And yet God, this holy, terrifying God, comes and speaks peace to these people, his people. Isaiah 40, a great example of this, comfort, comfort ye my people, says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. That's Isaiah's way of saying where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. That God speaks peace specifically, you see, as a holy God to a sinful people. God says, I will be a God of peace to you when we should not expect God to be a God of peace to us. And yet He desires, we know this, because He is the God who's made it possible. He's made it happen. He wants you to know that under the umbrella of the banner of His covenant of grace, under the umbrella of His of His work of redemption. He is a God of peace to you and that he promises and to bless you, to make his face shine on you, to be gracious to you and lift up his countenance upon you and, and give you the glory of his peace. He's for you. He's for you. And that fundamental blessing back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, that defines, you see, God. And so when the writers of the New Testament letters want to, when they close their letters and want to give a blessing, they always say, now may the God of peace. May the God of peace, Paul says, be with you all, Romans 15, 33. 1 Thessalonians five twenty three. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Every blessing, you see, that we have, by, by virtue of the work of Jesus Christ comes because our Father has declared Himself to be a God of peace to us in Him. Now, we have to receive that. A benediction can be, a diff, can be just so easily missed. Uh, you, you can, you know, if you've sort of grown up in the church, uh, the benediction can be sort of code to you to start gathering your stuff, right? Look around, find Bibles and books and, and the kids' toys on the floor and start picking up because we're about to get out of here. When God, the living God, is making a promise to you of the most amazing nature, the most astonishing sort, that I'm going to shine my face on you all week long as you leave here, and my countenance is going to be lifted up, and you're going to see the glory of my goodness and my kindness and patience to you all week long because of Jesus, that I'm going to be a God of peace to you. And no matter how weak you are, no matter how great your sin, and it's greater than you know, the gospel is sufficient and grace abounds. When we come to the benediction, we should just lift our hands and our our hearts, our faces, and receive this gift that God gives to us week after week. Well, that's what the writer wants us to do. Now, may the God of peace, this God who's for you, Who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. There's so much rich truth here, and we're going to take just a little time here to think about Jesus as the great shepherd of the sheep. Uh, Notice he's not a great shepherd. He's not just saying nice things about Jesus. He's the great shepherd. He's the only great shepherd there is. There's no other. And the the Greek word for great, of course, well, maybe not of course, but is mega. You know what that word's like, is about, you've heard it the mega meal, whatever. Mega, big, awesome. That's Jesus, the mega shepherd, a great towering, glorious shepherd of the sheep. That's Jesus. Well, what's so great about him? Well, we could go on a long time about what's so great about him, but the writer here um, wants us to see the greatness of Jesus specifically in his shepherding role. And the best way maybe to see the greatness of Jesus, if you remember these people, they're, they're Jewish people. They're, they're, they've been born and raised in the Jewish faith and they've converted to Christianity. And, and uh, they'll know this shepherd language. They've heard it. They've grown up with it. Uh, they, they, they know what sheep are like. It's an agrarian society. There are sheep all over the place. And the things you see that, that help us see, the greatness of Jesus, is, is to see the incredible need of sheep and the insufficiency of human shepherds for those sheep. Oh We are sheep. We're sheep. Sheep are not noteworthy. Sheep are not laudable. Sheep really are. it's not calling them names, dumb and defenseless. I saw a, a, a report, 2005, BBC News report. A Turkish, Turkish shepherds watched in horror as hundreds of their sheep followed each other over a cliff, say Turkish newspaper reports. Apparently, the shepherds assigned to watch the sheep were having breakfast when one sheep decided it had enough of the world and jumped off a 50-foot cliff to its death. As the stunned shepherds look on, their flocks of sheep, one by one, just imagine this, followed the initial sheep's actions and jumped to their death as well. 1,500 went over the cliff. The first 400 died. The rest of them were wonderfully cushioned by this massive pile pile of wool. (laughs) Sheep are dumb. Everyone will testify to this, right? You don't have sheep guard, right? Guard sheep. Sheep are defenseless utterly defensive. Most animals, God has given some ability when it comes to danger. They can either hide, they can run, or they can make themselves at least look imposing and threatening. So porcupines can get their needles all up and and uh, and hurt you if you try to get too close. Uh, dogs can show their teeth and bite. Cats can even hiss and expose their claws. What can sheep do? They can bleat. Right? <laughs> That's what they have. I, they, I'm, I'm not making this up. <laughs> right? Almost every domesticated animal left on its own in the wild can make a go of it. It has, it has a fighting chance. I mean, chickens can survive in the wild, not sheep. One writer says, a domesticated sheep in the wild is a prepackaged snack for nature. <laughs> sheep are utterly defenseless. You're sheep. I'm a sheep. I don't like being a sheep. My, my nature would, I'd rather be a lion, a bear. I don't, I don't like being so helpless, so stupid, so defenseless, so needy. It's embarrassing. And it's absolutely true. And you will never stop being a sheep, ever. Jesus didn't die to make sheep into lions or bears. You'll be a sheep forever. Forever. You never get done being a sheep. Is that okay with you? It's gospel truth. So you'll be a sheep for all of eternity. One day a perfected sheep but never an ounce less dependent upon God than you are today. That's just truth. But you see, that is a good truth if it leads you to see Jesus as a great shepherd. And it's a necessary truth. You see, you'll never see Jesus, you'll never cherish Jesus as a great shepherd Until you come to face and embrace the reality of your nature and the profound depth of your need, you need a shepherd. I need a shepherd. I need someone to lead me, or I get lost immediately. I need someone to feed me, or I will starve myself on the the false lies of this world. I'll starve my soul to death. We need someone to protect us from our own stupidity, from the wolves that seek to devour our soul, from the devil that's out to destroy us. These aren't just metaphors in the Bible. It's truth. It's the sheer irrefutable reality of being a sheep. And human shepherds are not sufficient you find throughout the bible god gave his people shepherds moses their shepherd led them out of egypt david was a shepherd over israel and they were good shepherds but both of them deeply flawed and both of them and and all of the good shepherds unable to actually rescue israel you see that moses could get them out of egypt he could not get egypt out of them And you find throughout Israel's history, what what you find in general is this incredible track record of miserable, weak, wicked shepherds. So that God speaks in anger against the shepherds of Israel. For example, Ezekiel 34, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who've been feeding yourselves, Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you don't feed the sheep. The weak you've not strengthened, the sick you've not healed, the injured you've not bound up, the strayed you've not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you've ruled them so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. When Jesus looked at the crowds, he saw He had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. The shepherds were no different from the wolves. And so what do you do when the shepherds are wicked, when the shepherds are fundamentally flawed, and even the good ones can't actually help you? Well, you remember God's promise to send a great shepherd. Micah chapter 5, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. And you have that thread weaving its way through the Old Testament prophecies. Isaiah says in chapter 40, He, this great shepherd, will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. There's a great shepherd. A great shepherd given to you and to me, the sheep who desperately need one. And when Jesus came, you remember, this is exactly the role he took on and, and declared himself to be. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. is that astonishing? Jesus, the very son of God, he comes to earth to be our shepherd and, and to do so not just by, by leading in strength, but by dying for us, giving up his life for us. That should, that should surprise you, right? I mean, who would die for stupid sheep, defenseless, rebellious sheep. Who would suffer willingly for sheep? Jesus would. And Jesus did. And that's, you see, that's our story. We were just lost, rebellious, stupid, ignorant, helpless sheep, and and the Son of God came and died for us Reminds me of a story that Matt Chandler gives, and it, it, I've, I've told you this before, but it, it's, it just really brings us home, the wonder of the gospel. He, he talks about when he was a, a newer Christian, he was a young man, I think freshman in college, and... Um, he had a friend of his who was playing at a nearby church. Uh, they had a they had a youth convention going on there, and his friend was playing in the music team. and, and so he invites a friend of his, a single mom he'd gotten to know, who was just kind of thinking about the faith. She was in a uh, she she had a um, a child out of marriage, and she was uh, in a right now in an uh, extramarital affair with a married guy. Just twenty six year old young woman, and he invites her to say, you know, let's go listen to my friend, and uh, then hoping that the gospel will be presented. And so they go and then the friend plays great and then the pastor gets up thousand kids there <clears throat> and the pastor is going to talk about sexual purity and he takes out a rose it's a beautiful rose and 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 he and he shows them and, and points out how beautiful it is how good it smells and then he and then he throws it out in the crowd and says now i just want you to pass it around i want you to i want you to smell this rose i want you to i want you to touch it and and just sense how what a beautiful thing this rose is and I'm going to go on talking. And then he launches into a talk about sexual purity and just fear-mongering about um, just trying to frighten people. All the bad things that happen, can happen to you if, uh, if you're sexually impure. And then uh, near the end of his talk, he, he asks for the rose back. And so they pass it back. And uh, it is—it's just a mess. The stem is broken. Half the petals are gone. It's—it's—it's it's, it's wilted. It's been touched by so many hands. It's—it's um, it, just—it's just shot, shattered as a rose. And his big close was, Matt says, his big close was. He hold, he holds up the rose and he and he says, "Do you see what happens when you sin sexually? Look at this thing. Who would want this? Who would want this rose?" And Matt says, I'm sitting there next to this 26-year-old woman. I'm trying to talk to her about Jesus. She's, in a, uh, uh, she's caught in sexual sin. And it was, it, he says, I was so angry. It, it, it took everything in me to keep from shouting out, Jesus wants the rose. Jesus wants the rose. What do you think the gospel is about? What do you think the gospel is? Who do you think it's for? For nice, cleaned up, nice smelling, pretty, beautiful roses? No. They don't exist, but for people who've ruined their life in sin and are more broken than they even can imagine, that's the gospel. The good shepherd came and he did not give up his life for basically good people, people with good intentions, people who have have made, made a few mistakes but are not as bad as the next guy. He came to seek and save the lost, wicked people. The shepherd did. And so that's why it's gospels. That's why it's good news. Because it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. This Jesus, this shepherd, is able to rescue you. He's able to rescue me. And how do we know it's true? Well, we know it's true because the resurrection, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, he really died bearing our sin and he was really raised to life for our justification. The resurrection isn't this sort of neat added-on factoid that comes after the cross. It is God's glorious announcement that the sacrifice has been effectual. Sin has been paid for, right? The the penalty that we, the the, the debt we owed to the law, it's been paid for. The curse of God over this broken ruined sinful world, the curse is broken. The power of life has crushed the power of death. Jesus stomped on the serpent's head. Can you, is, is there better news you know of? Is there better news in the whole world that you know of Then that news, I don't know of any. You see, Jesus had to come out of that grave because he had destroyed the power of the grave. And Jesus came out of that grave, friends, and the Bible wants us to know about it and to remember it because one day you and I are going to be lying in that grave and we need a shepherd who can enter the tomb and lead us out. And that's Jesus. Jesus. Okay, well, that happened to Jesus, but, but, but there's more assurances here. The writer reminds us of the, the blood of Jesus, the blood of the eternal covenant. Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep because, you see, he enacted a covenant, a relationship that God sets up with us and orders according to his word. And it's an eternal covenant, and it's an eternal covenant because God makes the promise, and then God enables us to do whatever part we are called to do. God works that in us. So the eternal covenant, the writer has reminded them of this in in chapter 8, and he's referring to Jeremiah 31, this new covenant God says, I will make with my people, won't be like the old covenant. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. That's not God's wish. It's not his hope. It's his covenant. It's his covenant. He has sworn himself to this. He's bound himself to this. I will remember their sins no more. You can take that, you see, when you pray, and you can say, Father, I confess my sin, but I lay hold of the covenant where you've promised you will not remember my sin as I come in Jesus' name. And it's not blackmail. God loves to hear his children pray his promise. So when Jesus died on that cross, that new covenant was enacted. It was signed, it was sealed with the blood of the Son of God. And if you come to Jesus Christ confessing your sin, if you come acknowledging that you cannot possibly save yourself, but that Jesus' righteousness is the only robe that can that can cover you and make you fit for heaven, then this promise stands. And we can receive this benediction, then as God's promise to us, his oath to us his proclamation to us that he will not remember your sins. You know, we need to to speak that truth to our heart because we tend to remember our sins. We need to speak this truth that either, either our guilt remains and God is a liar or the guilt is gone, the shame is gone, and God's covenant stands. It can't be both. And then God promises not only, the writer reminds us not only of this great covenant that stands, but a daily sufficient divine work that goes on now as we walk this road. You can say, Pastor, I know all that's true. I've known most of what you've said this morning. There's not a single thing that's been new, but you don't understand. I am exhausted. I'm at the end of my rope. And I want you to know that God knows. And there's a promise for that because your shepherd not only has made provision for your justification, your shepherd has made provision for your preservation, your perseverance. May the God of peace equip you with everything good for do, that you may do his will, working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. So God promises through Jesus, your great shepherd, to equip you and to work in you All the way until you get home. Jesus is not just watching over you from his throne in heaven. The the text says that Jesus is actively engaged working in you that which is pleasing to him. Well, what what would that be? Because when we think of the work of God, what we want is the work of comfort and the work of rest. Well, those aren't bad desires. In fact, it's, it's what Jesus promises, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. But you see, it's the rest of faith. What is most pleasing to God? It's faith. What is the thing that, that the writer has told these, these people that will, can destroy their pilgrim journey? It's unbelief, you see. What pleases God is faith. Faith that God's word is true. Faith that God is faithful. Faith that the covenant will stand. Faith that the blood was sufficient. Faith that the shepherd is faithful and able and willing and he's actively engaged, working in you what is pleasing to him. That's the new covenant. Jeremiah 32, 40, I will make, God says, with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they may not turn from me. What God does you see, friends, He gives you a fear of God, which means a sense of the reality of God, the the goodness and the holiness, the awesomeness of God, and a desire for Him, an increasing love for Him. And God, He puts that there and He promises to keep it there so that they may not turn away from me. God says He'll keep you in the faith when you're exhausted. That he'll work that in you. I would, just this, this uh, Wednesday night at the high school theology class, Sarah Heisinger shared that she works in the dementia unit with elderly people who, um, who don't remember their children at times, don't remember their spouses, don't remember their former life. But she says, one thing they remember is the Lord. They, they still have their faith. Why? The Lord keeps them there. This is good, good news for For weary sheep, he will hold you fast. There is a love that will not let you go. That God has given you to Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. And no one, Jesus promises, will snatch you out of his hand. Do you remember Psalm 23? How does Psalm 23 begin? The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. How does it end? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right? Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, those two are inextricably interwoven. You can't separate the two. If verse 1 is true, then then the last phrase has got to be true. If the Lord is your shepherd, you will dwell in his house. And there are wonderful promises in Scripture about what you'll experience there. Let me close with that. Revelation chapter 7. Just listen to these words. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The lamb in the midst of the throne is your shepherd today, and he will be your shepherd forever. That's the assurance that you can have if you know Jesus as the great shepherd of your soul, and if you don't know Jesus as the great shepherd of your soul, friend, you can. There's nothing standing between you and this great shepherd. I would ask you, if you're not a Christian today, who is your shepherd? Who's your shepherd? Who can promise you what this shepherd can promise? Who, who, who will do for you what this shepherd has done? If you don't know Jesus as your shepherd, then today is the day of salvation. Call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible promises you shall be saved, and Jesus will gladly receive you as his sheep. And Because this is all true, and because it's true for us, we can happily say to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord God in heaven, you know our names, you know our days, you know our sins, you know our need. Oh God, you know that you've given to us a great shepherd and we flee to him. We thank you, oh Father, that in this pilgrim journey, we're walking the road that you've called us to and we're walking the road that you walk with us by Christ and in your spirit. We're not alone. We're not abandoned. You're not uh, asking us to rely upon our strength, but you invite us to gladly throw ourselves upon your strength and your wisdom and your grace and your faithfulness and your promise. We, we have a resurrected living Jesus who, who loves us. We, we have an eternal covenant that cannot be broken. We have a God who has declared himself to be a God of peace to us. And, Father, I pray that we would then find strength and joy in the confidence that the God who has begun a work will carry it on, that you will not let us go, that we are going to be okay, that that you're going to fulfill your your good purposes for us until we stand in the presence of Jesus. Father, help us remember that on the hard days. Give us the, uh, the willingness to be sheep, needy, helpless, dependent people, but sheep who have a great shepherd.